0: Um, The thing about cultic groups and like the IFB, too, is that cultic groups, um, they claim to have the absolute truth and that it's the only way and you can't question it. And so that was the hard thing about that is that it was untouchable.
1: Hello Cult Hackers, I'm Celine, a media graduate with a personal interest in cults.
2: And I'm Stephen, organisational psychologist, also with an interest in cults and high control groups and a former member. And we're very happy today to welcome Andrew Pledger to the podcast. First of all, welcome Andrew.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
2: Great. Well, um, really looking forward to our conversation today, Andrew. You, your story is really interesting, um, and we want to hear it. Mm-hmm. Andrew, you were raised in a fundamentalist Christian type group, and so you know you've you've fairly recently left that uh, whole world behind and and you're you're doing a lot of sense making at the moment trying to understand things um mm-hmm. and you reached out to us so we're very grateful that you did that um so maybe we could start by you telling us a bit about yourself and um and then we'll we'll sort of dig in a bit deeper if that's okay
0: oh yeah sounds good so my name is Andrew Pludger and I am a religious trauma survivor and I grew up in the IFB cult and for people who don't know what the IFB is uh, listening out there it stands for Independent Fundamental Baptist and um, this is just a whole other um, crazy kind of Baptist uh, denomination. <laughs> <laughs> just just go Google it. And so what do you know mean by it. crazy? Come on. <laughs> 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 yeah, so the IFB, in, which is crazy to me, which growing up in it, I always thought it was, especially in my teen years, I thought it was a really weird, wacky kind of church. And it wasn't until this year Um, When I finally began to dig into cult education and learn about Lifton's criteria for thought reform and learn about Stephen Hassan's bite model, and then I compared it to um, the church that I grew up in, and then that's when I realized that it was a cult, (laughs) and it was just one of those moments, light bulb moments that went off, and when you're in that, you know, it's hard to think that it's crazy or that it's abnormal because it's all that, you know, Mm. you aren't exposed to any kind of other experiences or different kinds of people. You're very isolated. So you have nothing to compare it to. Um, But in the environment, there were definitely moments um, when my internal alarm or my um, internal system alerted me of things that bothered me. And of course I didn't have the language then to understand that, but looking back at some of the crazy um things that i witnessed in my church there were a few moments and i think it was one moment which then i didn't even know the term red flag but now i look back and i'm like that's a red flag but the big big red flag to me was the obsession that people had with the pastor of my church growing up um the way they i don't know deified him in a way and to me it just always they they treated him like a man, God or Jesus Himself, if if you would say that, and mm. it just really bothered me. And my parents they were just so enamored by the pastor. Whenever they would talk about him, it would they would almost cry. <laughs> um, they were just so emotionally attached to him, and it just I thought I was really weird, honestly. And like they hated it. They thought I was bad because I didn't like look up or really yeah. admire Brother Bobby. It was just. Kind of when what, I talked about it, I was like, what was his name? Sorry, say that again. Oh, Brother Bobby Robertson. That was his name. Yes. Bo- Bobby like, Robertson. Yes. Yes. Um, he was more well known in IFB circles. Yeah. Um, it was really annoying when I would ever um, visit different churches, especially when I went to college. Whenever I mentioned I was from that church and who was the pastor people would go ballistic and just like oh my gosh like you're around you've been, you've, you've been in the presence of brother bobby oh my gosh it's so it must be so amazing to be in his presence every sunday and i'm just sitting there like oh yeah really great sure yeah whatever
2: <laughs> it's strange isn't it because in a sense it goes against even the internal logic of of a church uh, mm. which shouldn't really be about individual uh leaders it it should be about jesus and god shouldn't it it's not supposed to be about church leaders
0: no and like you know looking back he was he was generally i mean he never had any scandals that i know of there was no scandals at all um which i'm glad none of that happened and he generally he was he was a nice person he um and i think that's why people were so enamored by him because he was the embodiment or the example of what they wanted to be and i think people got so yeah. caught up in that and he would tell people he would tell people to stop like praising him and doing all these things i think at times it embarrassed him honestly mm. <laughs> he just felt and that the more he did that, the more people loved him more. Like, oh, you're oh. so humble. You're so great. <laughs> so part of me is like, is he just faking this? Is he saying, <laughs> oh, stop? And then he's like, come no. on more. No, really. <laughs> like, <laughs> So part of me is like, is he sincere or is he yeah. not? Or is this the way to make people be obsessed with him um, more? Um, but I think the one major th- um, incident that I remember is when a church member in my church prayed in the pulpit i think there was that some kind of like this yearly church service we had where we would literally just talk about the history of our church and how much it had grown and the different buildings and all this stuff and we would be surrounded a lot around brother bobby and the work that he's done and he was there for like 60 plus years um and that's one another reason to why people looked out to him so much because he stayed at that he i mean he he literally died Um, and then he was done, like he was at the church until he died in 2018. That was when he passed away. Um, but there was a church member in the pulpit and they were praying to Jesus and they were like, dear Jesus, help us to be more like brother Bobby. And as I'm like sitting there, I'm like, oh my gosh, did I just hear that? Like, like you were saying earlier, you know, it's not supposed to be about, um, an, a leader or an individual in the church that we're worshiping really mm. and so when this church member prayed that like that red flag or that feeling went off of me and i looked around and no one was looking up or questioning people were like shaking their heads like yes like i'm like oh my gosh like this is i didn't have the language then but looking no. back i'm like that's really culty <laughs> um or cultic mm. absolutely and so that was one of the big moments when i realized how crazy the church was and i was having a conversation yesterday um with Tia Levings, who she's really great about posting fundamentalist content um online. And so it was funny because when I talked to her, there was something about my church that I just kind of forgot about and then I remembered it. And I'm like, huh, that's kind of ratchet. Like what is that? Mm-hmm. Um but my church, we had what it was called A and B Sunday School. Mm-hmm. And so it was interesting because I was talking to Tia about how it was um it was basically segregation um, in the church, but tried to be labeled as if it wasn't because when I was when I look back, I'm like, huh, I'm like, so a Sunday school was really all the white kids oh, and really? B Sunday school was just all the Hispanics and the people of color. Oh, when I look back on it, I hmm. was like, because it was interesting because they would say, oh, yeah, we have a Sunday school and a Sunday um, I mean, for people who aren't familiar, the IFB church is known for having a bus ministry and bringing in kids on buses. Yeah. Um, and so B stood for bus and A stood for auto. So the kids that were brought to the church by their parents who um, were in better and richer in homes or communities, they brought yeah. their kids to church and the church brought buses out to really the poorer parts of the community right. to pray on the poor <laughs> really <laughs> uh, honestly <laughs> and it's just looking back i'm like oh my gosh like we we spent all this time bringing thousands of kids to church to have them sit down for an hour and we get them like um crackers and tell them that they're going to hell and then we'd send them back <laughs> to their homes
2: nice yeah yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice I'm day like out these... for everybody uh, yeah, uh, this... c-
2: come on join our happy little throng um, you're going to hell <laughs> see you next week yeah. <laughs> but oh, it was dear.
0: interesting because looking back cause, um, a lot of the people who came on the buses were Hispanics and people of color mm. and I remember talking to Tia yesterday I was like I remember as a kid being so scared of the best kids and people of color because we were always so separated and they were always like the other and it was yeah. interesting, too, because my church, we had a Spanish church. Um, it was like gospel Spanish church or something, they just gospel the regular church, which was the regular church was for white people. Um, and the interesting thing about it was that the Spanish church, um, they just explained it away by saying, oh, there's a language barrier, so they needed their own church. Um, but the church never had its own autonomy. The Spanish church never did. It was always controlled um, by the white church and the Spanish people never knew that until their pastor um, sadly passed away much earlier than expected. And they, they decided to hire a new pastor and then the white church was like, no, they're like, you can't do that. Like we're going to give, you are going to find mm. the pastor for you. You don't get to make those decisions. Really so mm. Things like that, looking back about how um, segregated it really was and how obsessed people were with the pastor and just, The IFB is known for a lot of its extreme roles, too. Very strict about gender roles. Um, Women always had to have long hair. Thankfully, it didn't go to the point where women couldn't cut their hair. (laughs) I know there are some people who their church, like women, can't cut their hair. Thankfully, women were allowed to. I I don't know what this specific standard was with how short they could have it until it was like breaking the law or what they interpreted Mm -hmm. as the law. At least um, women could not wear pants in our church at all. They all had to wear dresses that went to the floor, basically. Mm-hmm. You could not yep. see, like, any skin on the leg. No ankles or anything. You oh, could really? not. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, JWs
1: yeah. do have you wear skirts or dresses, don't they, for the meetings?
2: For the women, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're not. you're not allowed to wear that. So, so I come from a, a, a Jehovah's Witness mm-hmm. uh, upbringing. That's my background. and um, A lot of what you say... I mm-hmm. um, recognise in that, of course, a lot of our listeners yeah. who are ex-JWs will recognise um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: some of that. Um, yeah, that's um, that, that's really interesting. So you you started to have these, um, I guess, these doubts due mm-hmm. to this sort of hero worship that you were seeing mm-hmm. um, for this, yes. this leader. Um, mm-hmm. So what what uh, what else started to affect you? Because I know at some point, looking at your story, you've got an interesting website mm-hmm. that we'll put a link to uh in, yeah. in the show notes and you talk a little bit about your story in there and i know mm-hmm. that you start to recognize um that again you didn't have the language for it but you started mm-hmm. to recognize that there was a problem and that mm-hmm. it was making you feel a certain way could you talk mm-hmm. us a little bit about that please and yeah yeah
0: most definitely i think what really made me question ifb which um the thing about cultic groups and like the ifb too is that cultic groups Um, they claim to have the absolute truth and that it's the only way and you can't question it. And so that was the hard thing about that is that it was untouchable. Uh, And what really made me question was that my own experiences with sexuality didn't match what they taught. And that was in my teen years when I first realized, um, I guess that I was attracted to the same sex. I didn't I didn't understand that exactly. And like, because my church had such a narrow definition of what that meant, I guess I didn't, this has such a binary thinking. Mm -hmm. I didn't fit myself into that category for a while. I'm like, Oh, well my church says, this is this. So, Oh, my church says that these people are predators and all these things. So I don't fit into that category uh, because they had such that um, they really demonize LGBTQ plus people. Mm -hmm. And Um, and you know cults are known a lot for making people outside a group like the other or evil like even growing up like different christian denominations who didn't do things the way we were were demonized and seen as works of satan like contemporary music for example that was so satanic apparently (laughs) Mm. um but it was just that the experience of my own sexuality just didn't match what they were teaching and you know it caused a lot of internalized homophobia and like inner conflict Mm. and i think after years and years of just hearing so many toxic messages on um sexuality on human nature on hell on the end times and all these just different things just piling up you know i struggled greatly with my mental health and that is another thing that didn't match what they told me about mental health i was always taught mental health was a spiritual issue. It's like demons attacking you, it's spiritual warfare. All you need to do is just read your Bible and pray and you're all good. And so once I did what the IFB cult told me, it didn't work for me. And so that was very, very frustrating because like when their formula doesn't work for you, you are the one that's usually blamed. Like You're not believing enough, you're not praying enough, uh, you're not trusting enough. And the, the reason for that is that when someone in the group, when the formula isn't working and another person who's indoctrinated also sees that, it causes that cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Um, and it it causes too much discomfort in them that they try to explain it away or dismiss it um, completely uh, because there's so, so much of their identity, or their identity really is this um, ideology. So if you mess with the foundation of that, you're just completely taking or destroying part of really who they are as a person and what they put their identity in. And so for me, I really had to, I really suffered in silence for a long time, um, not knowing really how to deal with it. Cause my parents, they weren't helpful at all uh, because they were heavily, heavily indoctrinated in like, you know, I was homeschooled um, my entire life for the purpose of being indoctrinated Into fundamentalist Christianity. And both of my parents, they graduated from Hiles Anderson College, which is a big fundamentalist college in the 80s. My dad, he was a pastor for several years in the IFB um, until he left it uh, because there was just, he was very unhappy being in the ministry. And it's it's interesting because my mom is the only one who's told me about that situation because it always intrigued me that my dad was a pastor. Uh, because he had, he stopped pastoring by the time I was born, and like he's never talked about it um, mm. once, and it's only been my mom that's mm. told me about it. And um, really, for me, I I think what happened was, especially in the IFB, and I think it was really big, um, a lot probably through the '60s and '90s, a lot uh, this message of. You have to commit your life to the full-time ministry. That is why you're here. They give, they just hand you the purpose for your life. You're like, this is why you're here. You were born into this group because you are chosen by God. And this is the answer to the world's problems, the way to get to heaven. So you need to, you know, and then the pressure of, oh, God died on the cross for you and all these things. So you need to spread his message and his love. Um, there's no other purpose in life. You'll be so miserable um, without us if you don't do this and if you don't follow God's will then you're going to be miserable and they told you what God's will was in air quotes like <laughs> whatever yeah
2: so mm. so we're really getting a picture of complete and utter um, immersion in this mm. organization from the from the moment that you start to understand yeah you, you are a person you know it's um yeah it's completely uh, wrapped up, your life is completely wrapped up in this thing right through mm. your parents and, and through to yourself.
1: When you're saying about the homeschooling element mm. of it, so is that something that we've started noticing more? I mean, do you have thoughts on how you feel about that and how homeschooling mm. is or isn't allowed and that sort of thing? Like, How do you feel Got about you. it as someone that was homeschooled?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think in the US there is so... And the thing is, there's not one standard of, like, homeschool in the U.S. Mm -hmm. There are some states that are great with protecting kids who are homeschooled but still give the parents and children their rights still imbalancing that. Mm -hmm. But it's not like that across the board because Mm -hmm. um, the federal – it's interesting. The federal government is not allowed to tell each state – the standard of how to run the school. Now, they can totally have money from the government. <laughs> they can give mm-hmm. them money, but they cannot tell them or have a standard of accountability mm-hmm. <laughs> for how it's run. The state government has to decide that. Right. And the unfortunate thing is that you have in America, um, like for example, Bill Gothard's um, IBLP Institute for Basic Life Principles. Um, I found out yesterday from Tia that he has been a big part of, you know, training people in this cult to get into all aspects of the public life and to get into the government to push this Christian fundamentalist agenda and really push Christian nationalism. And so that's the issue is that we have a bunch of these fundamentalists secretly um, infiltrating Mm. into the government until we see the laws that they're passing and supporting. And we're like, oh shit, like this is not good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so for me, for homeschooling, um, I mean, I try to have a balanced approach to it. I think you can do home, you can homeschool your children for lots of great reasons. Like uh, let's say you have a very gifted child and they want to pursue a career in sports or something. So you want to accommodate that instead of them sitting in a desk all day. Uh, and I think you know there are parents who do do that for their children. their Their child is motivated. They know what they want to do and help um, help them reach that. And I, I've I've, seen, I've met some homeschoolers who really homeschool because they want to travel the world or travel the U.S. and let their children experience that and experience the world. Uh, and I think that's great. And you know, sadly, there are also parents who want to completely shelter their children and cut them off from the outside world and indoctrinate them Mm -hmm. and you know to me i think that homeschooling for the purpose of indoctrination is child abuse um it most definitely is because you're denying um, your child a good education Um, Mm -hmm. because indoctrination um, it's about making people accept beliefs without critically thinking you're giving them information you're like you have to accept this you cannot think about it this is truth Mm. and you know that's like the opposite of education (laughs) that's not education (laughs) i think that's that's Um, so true um
2: i think back to my my childhood and um i i went to a state school Mm -hmm. um and i think Between that and Star Trek, um, Mm -hmm. I think those are the two things that saved me, to be honest, um, because Mm, they gave me a different way of looking at the world and indeed the galaxy Mm, um, that helped me to think that actually there was a different way of thinking about things. But Mm. if you're homeschooled, um, that's completely cut Mm. off to you, isn't it? Yeah. You're not going to be learning about evolution or about Mm. uh, comparative religions or about political Mm -hmm. systems and so on it's
1: it's even just the basic like as in like stuff that is transferable so it's Mm. not just Mm. here's what other religions exist or have do you know about political systems it's it's okay we're going to take a text and i want you to analyze it
0: Mm-hmm. Like the word
1: analyse, does anyone sit you down and say, analyse this biblical text or does someone read it to you and tell you what you think about it? Um, yeah, so you that's know, how it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> and this is what we think. So, but whereas, you know, you're encouraged to have original thoughts and ideas when you read, mm-hmm. you know, as we probably... <laughs> or were, it, were made to at some point, you know, read of Mice and Men if you went to, um, like, the schools <laughs> in England it has been churning those books out for ages. But, you know, they were like, yeah, know, what do you think? Like, let's come up with some metaphor. Like, what does mm. this metaphor mean? Can, you, can yeah. you work it out? Like, that mm-hmm. stuff is a skill and you need to practice mm. it, right?
0: Oh, yes. Like, to just critically think and analyze things. And mm. and I agree what you were saying, how it's just, sadly, this indoctrination is about something is read to you and you're told what it means and you're not supposed to dig deeper into it or really um think about it Mm -hmm. and um they're really like i guess you would say this is a term they'll use like they were training us to be soldiers for christ i guess you would say (laughs) which is really cringy i think Mm -hmm. but it sounds terrible but um the point of it was um to continue the religion through the family, generation after generation, mm. um, to continue. And, you know, thankfully, my parents never pressured me to be in the ministry, in which I'm so glad because that can happen mm. in a lot of these cultic situations. But I think because of my parents' personal experience in the ministry mm. and how bad of an experience that was and their realizations, they had to come to about um, – having this attitude of everyone has to be in the ministry that was something i think they thankfully critically began to think about where they're like well mm-hmm. if everyone is in the ministry well then how can people pay tithe or how can they be church members if we all just go and be in the ministry
2: so just mm-hmm. clarify what what that um means for us andrew because um, as an ex-jw yeah. that means something slightly different i think to us so um, oh god what, what does in the ministry mean
0: yeah, got you. So being in the ministry is committing your life full time to okay. spreading the, the gospel, uh, which for people listening, like the gospel in the Baptist church, um, it's like the plan of salvation um, through Jesus Christ of how to get to heaven. And growing up, they called it like the ABC prayer. It was like, admit you're a sinner. Um, believe that Jesus died on the cross for you. Confess your sins after forgiveness. And once you do those steps and you believe it, then you have a ticket to heaven. And so then after that, once you get an air quote saved, um, that's really the pressure begins of like, Oh my gosh, you're in, you know, you're in God's family now. And so God has a big plan for you. And Oh my gosh, like he wants you to spread his word around the world. So for what they mean by being in the ministry is they want you to be a pastor in a church. And the thing is though, for women, this just meant to stay at home (laughs) <laughs> cook clean um be be nice submissive quiet and help your husband in any ways you can and that's that's what it sadly meant for women mm-hmm. to really submit them, th- themselves to that kind of um life um and it was interesting because growing up every once in a while there were um a few very shameful sermons about pressuring people to commit their lives to the full-time ministry and I think those kinds of sermons were the only ones that really bothered my parents and the ones that they never agreed with because they usually never they never questioned the church or anything Mm -hmm. they did. But it wasn't until it was sermons like that. That they, they would, like, after church, my parents would sit us down, and they're like, we don't agree with anything they said in that pulpit tonight. <laughs> Your dad mm. and I have had experience um, in the ministry, mm. and we just don't think it's for everyone. Everyone has a different role. We all can't be the same kind of people. Like, we all need to do different things. and." um it's interesting because there there was or there is some kind of scripture in the bible talking about like the parts of the body and how it all has different functions but you're all one and yeah. that's how they kind of try to um explain that and i don't know i mean I'm, yeah. i don't think they ever explained why people were like that <laughs> or why they did that um but they just said don't worry about it. don't feel that pressure um, to commit your life to that uh,
2: that's really interesting um just um going back to this uh setting up toward being a pastor so um again this is a culture that uh, i don't really know very much about in terms mm-hmm. of what what that means for people so um is that is that um an individual uh, as you say a male um mm-hmm. setting up their own church is that is that basically what they're expected to do if they're in the ministry
0: I mean yeah to be in the ministry or either set up a church or be a, an evangelist okay. um those are the two expected options right. of that and like um since you know the IFB it's independent so that means there's no bigger organization over these churches holding them accountable for anything so these churches they're all by themselves right. the only way they relate to each other is just their ideology Um, And that's about it. And these churches can run their churches however um, they want. I mean, they could they could hire people without background checks, um, period, which is really freaky, which a lot of my church did a lot like which, you know, healthy churches do background checks for people who are going to work with children. And Mm. that was something that did not happen (laughs) in my church growing up.
1: And even yeah. looking
0: back, there were some adults, I'm like, I don't know if that person should have had a Sunday school class or been around children. They just they didn't seem safe. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's something that we've not considered to be fair. When we've said what should religious groups be doing, especially these cultic groups, because the JWs recently have mm-hmm. had been in the news a lot around yes. you know, this mm-hmm. sort of thing. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it is surprising that, so we call it here like a DBS check. But it's just, yeah, it's a background check, Um, Mm -hmm. things like that. It's surprising that, yeah, we these aren't done because, or that it's not (laughs) expected to be done. You know, Um, it's like you're dealing with children, vulnerable Mm -hmm. adults, just, or you know, just people generally. I mean, just to work um, in a lot of Mm -hmm. environments, you're required Mm -hmm. to have these checks done. So it feels Mm -hmm. like this would be a good bare minimum for most places. (laughs) Yes,
0: I know, like.
1: <laughs> mm.
2: I, I guess part of the problem is that, as you said, these groups are kind of independent. So there's, mm. and they'd they'd don't say, have they don't the, refer to yeah. themselves
1: as places of work. Obviously, they're, they, I mean, at the most, they're considered charities. Um, yeah, so
0: like, mm-hmm, yeah. yeah, yeah, I
1: know they kind of get out <laughs> of a lot of things because of <laughs> they certain do. titles, you know.
0: I know it's interesting because some, so there were some churches that are popping up in America that aren't really churches. Mm-hmm. It's just a political right thing, and they're learning to file as like a church for a nonprofit status. Mm. And now the federal government and the IRS department is trying to crack down on that because they're like, you can't be a political organization and receive funding <laughs>
1: <Nice>. <laughs> from
0: the government at all. So there, mm, that's something that. Unfortunately, Christian nationalism has come up with um, to try to get money from the government to further push their agenda. And I think, sadly, a lot of the lack of guidelines and protections in these environments, um, I think some, a lot of it has to do with magical thinking. Um, okay. Because I remember looking back in my church, we had like a, a drug addiction um recovery program i think it was called like reformers unanimous or something mm-hmm. like that and um trying to help basically using religion to try to help people um get out of drug addiction i mean i never i never went to one of those things i assumed it was like 12 steps but so much more religious that's what i mm-hmm. always assumed <laughs> like mm-hmm. i know 12 steps is already religious but i felt like it was like um i Tell guess you. you would say 12 <laughs> steps on steroids I guess you would say. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah also it's like a podcaster that does film reviews and refers to stuff like that as Eleventy Stupid so I just turned <laughs> up to Eleventy Stupid yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: and um, what concerned us was that there would be people from this program who would make a proclamation of faith uh-huh. and then they would automatically be allowed to help out in the church and be around children different people and it's like Um, You know, I never want to judge people, but we do want to be careful. I think someone who's struggling um, with drug addiction and violence the last week and this week, they've claimed to be saved and changed. And now we're like, no, we need people need to prove themselves, (laughs) Mm. I think, um, before you can trust someone like that yeah. i think people they need to be given a chance most definitely but i think this magical thinking around oh like oh my gosh they're they're saved now and they're yeah. completely changed or a new creature or whatever so it was just yeah. this magical thinking of like oh like um god i don't know like uh, no. yeah. yeah oof like oh, nothing in touch power. us now yes really? <laughs> yeah
2: that's really interesting um okay so i i, I could talk about this stuff Mm-hmm. Um, all evening because i'm fascinated by it. i think particularly yeah. around from a, a i suppose a, a british perspective the the whole christian nationalism thing mm-hmm. uh, we, we have our own problems over here but um, that's one that we don't really have so much i don't think mm-hmm. um but it's kind of frightening i, I feel mm-hmm. looking at it from the other side of the pond um yes um i i you know how far we go down that particular rabbit hole i don't know but um we we spoken to other guests about this thing called dominion theology and um mm. all of that is that something that um that you're familiar with that these 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 fundamentalist groups were involved in
0: mm. yeah it was interesting because um i really learned about dominion theology when i left the cults and a lot of these places they don't they don't label a lot of things for what it actually is. And they tell you, but Dominion theology, um, it really was taught in the church that I grew up in. I just didn't realize that's what it was called. Um, But even in my teen years, examples of this um, would be, for example, um, my uncle, who was a preacher, I was at his IFB church um, one week, and he was talking about how, um the world would or the US would be such a better place if we could just get all the fundamentalist Christians in every single role. Mm. And mm-hmm. it would just be so much better. I remember sitting there and I'm like, oh my gosh, like this idea of just fundamentalists wanting to dominate and control yeah. um the government, like to them they believe is <laughs> what God wants them. Uh, yep. to do, and I remember my my church's reaction to Trump when he got into office. Um, it was like you know it was it was interesting whenever elections happened if a Democrat won, Satan was winning, if a Republican <laughs> won, God was winning. that's just that's how um, they divided it up that binary us versus mm-hmm. them thinking. Um, That is so common in cults. So, yeah, the Democrats were evil baby killers and the Republicans were like good, righteous Mm -hmm. people, heroes saving the day, saving people from evil or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So it had that extreme thinking. And like Trump um, was a good guy, basically. And any criticism that was made of Trump was an attack um, from Satan or, um, and anything he did was just dismissed. And, like, I've heard arguments of, like, oh, well, in the Bible, God used bad people to do good things. So, yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, you're like, Ugh. yeah, it's I, like I, the I rec- ends.
2: Yeah, I, I recognize that away. argumentation, but, um, it, it, it's quite a complex question. But he seems <laughs> so entirely, um, and the antithesis of of everything that Jesus was, let's say. Um,
0: yes, mm-hmm.
2: but you know he I does mean, his I,
1: pictures with a Bible. So, well, <laughs> <fine>. yeah, um, <laughs> yes, just the right it, it,
2: poses. It's all it's all very odd. Um, but I, I suppose I really want to, if we can, get into your story a bit more, um, Andrew. Mm-hmm. You've had your doubts. You start to realise mm-hmm. that um, actually there's something wrong here, mm-hmm. um, and. Can you tell us a little bit about the leaving process? So, How how do you mm. end up here talking to yes. us <laughs> two on a podcast? What was the real process behind all of that?
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, I grew up in it my whole life and I was so heavily indoctrinated um, removing myself um, from the environment. It, it took several years. Um, I left in January of this year, 2022. Um, wow. And, you know... Yeah. Thank you. I, I, and you know, I made the decision to leave the IFB at 17 years old, but I didn't get a chance. I was 22. (laughs) Um, So several years later, it took me to finally um, get away. But how that really started was um, first those red flags that I talked about earlier in the church. And then, you know, dealing with my sexuality, deal with mental health, you know, my experience is not matching um, what they were experiencing. And I think um, at that point, at least I had realized the damage that was done to me emotionally um, from toxic teachings in the church. Now at that time, when I realized this around 16 and 17, I didn't have, I didn't know the term religious trauma yet. Um, I hadn't even heard the term spiritual abuse at all. I'm just like, this messed me up. That's that's the only way I knew how to think about it. And I think it wasn't until about then I bought a book on spiritual abuse and it really talks about the signs of toxic spirituality and toxic um, environments and i saw a lot of those signs in my church and that's when around 17 i was like oh my gosh like this place like I, i knew internally was toxic but now i have this evidence and guidelines and criteria to put it against to really prove to myself that yes this is toxic and um this this is why and about that, I think it was around 17 when I began, I think it was at that time I had tried to deconvert, but it was too too difficult for me because mm. uh, I was still so emotionally uh, dependent on the group because what, what cults do is they completely... Um, remove your own identity and they give you your own. So if you leave the group, you don't know who you are at all um, because your identity is so reliant and so dependent on them. And so I think really the first big step I took to like questioning and starting to get away was I bought this book. I forgot what it was called, but it was something about the dangers of fundamentalism. And because I started questioning just, Fundamentalism in general and the approach to it, and it was interesting because it was it was a book on fundamentalism as a whole. It wasn't as an ideology, not on a specific religion. Um, so you know, it talked about Christian fundamentalism, um, you know, um, fundamentalist Islam, and all these different ideologies that can be fundamentalist. And It talked about it as like an approach to just a set of beliefs, not just a specific um, set of beliefs or religion um and so that was something that i guess surprised me because i guess i had always associated fundamentalism with just christianity because Mm -hmm. that's the way i knew it and i'd not known anything outside of that so i'm like okay like this is just an approach to a belief system or a worldview Mm. okay that's interesting and so um but before i even got to read that book though um my dad saw that i received some mail from amazon and (laughs) my Mm. parents are always very nosy about what i got in the mail and so he's like what did you get i'm like oh i got some books i've had to be as general as possible Mm. like got some books (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so as i'm like trying to like walk away and take them to my room to open them and he he, you know he wanted me to open them in front of him i was like great i'm like this is Mm. not this is Awkward, and, mm-hmm. and so I, while I was opening them, I just decided to tell him what the books were. Yeah, because like he's gonna find out in a few seconds, anyways. Anyways, once yeah. he saw it, it was on fundamentalism, he automatically assumed it was about Christianity, which it wasn't. But um, he's like, oh, he's like, okay, he's like, why did you get this book? I'm like, oh, I'm like, I think I think there are some issues and toxicities and fundamentalism, and I want to explore that and understand mm-hmm. that more. And he got very, very defensive um, because I'm sure he was experiencing his own cognitive dissonance and his Mm -hmm. own attack on his own belief system. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of looking back, I see there was a lot of projection (laughs) um, that happened from him um, because he told me he's like, oh, well, I don't want you to lose your faith. I don't want you to read that. But what he was really meaning is, I don't want to doubt. I don't want you to ask me questions about this. I don't want to think critically about this or question like, no, let's just go with the flow. And, Mm um, and I told him, I was like, if your belief system is right, then you shouldn't have to worry about this book at all. Great point. (laughs) Great point (laughs) there.
2: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: And so, and he didn't really, what he said to that, he's like, Oh, he's like, well, this person is an atheist, so they can't even accurately um, read scripture because they don't have the Holy Spirit No, anyone outside our group, they can interpret it. And, that's another cultic <laughs> sign yeah, of absolutely. like mm-hmm. oof of like, you know, you um demonize anyone outside the group. Yeah. Yes. hmm Most definitely. And so um it was interesting how they would always say that only believers could interpret scripture correctly, but believers couldn't even agree on an interpretation anyways. <laughs> so it's like a lot of like contradictions and issues mm. with that. Yeah. Um, but he took the book away from me. And I was really, really pissed off about it because I spent money on it and, um, you know, and I was 17 years old at the time and Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, like it was just frustrating because I was so thirsty for a different perspective or different knowledge Mm -hmm. and like, you know, he's really terrible at hiding things. So once he was like gone for work, I went through the house and I found it Mm -hmm. and I put it, (laughs) under under my bed and like i didn't open it for a few weeks because his own reaction really did worry me myself because Mm -hmm. um i was worried i I like cracking the foundations of fundamentalism because like i said i was so emotionally dependent on him Mm -hmm. and so if you get rid of that foundation um what do you have and and yeah it's frightening isn't it it, it is i, I remember mm. that um i was older no. than
2: you when when i went through that process myself mm-hmm. but it was frightening
0: mm. yeah. yes it was definitely and so it wasn't until i read that book um that i think i i read it over and over again for a few weeks and it was just a lot to take in it was just it made my brain like physically hurt <laughs> if that makes <laughs> sense my mind physically hurt yeah. um it's just, you know, because, you know, you are, you know, you are wired, mm. you know, there are neural pathways that are built as you're indoctrinated to believe these things. And when you interrupt that and you break those connections, it does cause that psychological discomfort, really. And it, it will take a toll um, to undo the hold that it has on you. So for me, just finding out fundamentalism was toxic and why it was harmful. Um, was just enough, it was just really uh, eye-opening for me. And to me, um, um, really looking, I guess from perspective of, I guess a more humanitarian perspective, and a a perspective of equality, because once I started digging into the dangers of it, um, for example, um, in fundamentalism, violence is justified a lot of the times, or most of the time, really, um, which that did bother me as I got older. There was a lot of violence in the old Testament. Uh, You know, the good old Noah story of God flooding the entire world, killing everyone and doing all these awful things. And, but it was just crazy to me to see how they would justify that and how they would be like, Oh, well, you know, God's, God's a judge, he's righteous, you know, he he made us so he can do whatever he wants with us. So mm. and that was crazy to me to hear because I'm like, oh my gosh, so we're like God's little toys, little worthless toys or objects yes. he just throw around and throw against the wall because he made us mm. or we're his art that he made and because he's the artist, the artist can destroy his art. And that was the logic that I heard a lot growing up and even even eventually when I got to Bob Jones University and you know, I'll get into that much later when I get into that part of the story. Um, but this justification um of evil really bothered me and the black and white thinking really bothered me because I didn't I didn't know that then, but it's just growing up, it always bothered bothered me how people were othered or demonized. Mm-hmm. This us versus them mindset that really bothered me. And this claim of just absolute truth and just doing um ignoring people's boundaries to spread it and not considering other people at all that really, I guess you would say putting doctrine over the person, which that is a criteria for thought reform in Lifton's model of the doctrine over the person. The doctrine matters more than anything else, no matter what and when you have that kind of system where the ideology and its beliefs matter and you can do anything to push it, then you can do just about anything, honestly. And that's really, really scary. And that's when I began to realize um, how dangerous this mindset was. But of course, I could not say anything to about this to my parents. And I guess really it's when I began to realize that my parents were really um, radical Christians.
2: Yeah, just going back to your, your point there about... Um... The violence and the justification mm. for it um, uh, in in the Bible, particularly the um, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I think what what that demonstrates is that is the logic that is dangerous. Is that yeah. um, essentially because God created us and God is the um, the only arbiter mm. of morality? Then yeah. it doesn't really matter what we think. Whatever God says is moral is moral, um, yeah. and well, you if you then
1: with with like. Charismatic leaders, exactly. Like
2: that's that exactly my next uh, yeah. sentence. Yeah. That's brilliantly, they but stay. yeah,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> they determine what that is because it has mm. to be interpreted. Therefore, you've then got the you're at the mercy of a leader who essentially, you know, mm. is interpreting what God's will is, and that's mm. where it gets, I think, really dangerous
0: um mm, yes mm. yes most definitely and it's just it's interesting because it seemed like god was allowed to break his own laws and rules mm. <laughs> a lot of the time and it's like it's like oh it's okay it's, it's just, it just didn't make any sense and um it's very common in cults for there to be a lot of like um i guess you would say thought terminating cliches of oh like yeah. you can't question that or oh no we'll only know that in the afterlife or you're not allowed to think that there's just a lot of yeah. um shutting shutting down of critical thinking yeah. and questioning absolutely my, my
1: still favorite one was from another guest which was the chariots on the move which yeah. was just like when there's when the chariots like, on the move yeah like when they as let was call it like new lights, so when like they oh. change their interpretation and if um. they would question it and be and like but didn't we say this and this means this and if that was that and then they'll be like oh the chariot's on the move and that's just great for <laughs> leave it yeah. alone um, in other
2: words you, you, you know uh, that that was yesterday's doctrine today's um, new... today's doctrine is this other thing because yeah. chariot's oh, right. on the don't
1: move don't question it just yeah. Yeah, get over
2: it but you're right this, it's riddled uh, Christianity itself is riddled with these mm. thought terminating cliches and yes. you know in, in all fairness a lot of a lot of um, belief systems are you know so mm. it's, it's yeah. Uh, yeah it's just a way of of not having to deal with those difficult questions mm-hmm. that you're you're yeah. raising in your head isn't it yeah mm-hmm. uh, okay so you're um this is interesting so you, it's taken you sort of five-year period yeah. to um yeah. mm-hmm. extricate yourself from yes. uh, from all of this what else what else have you uh, got to tell us about that experience mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so I would say, you know, when I was seventeen, that was when I got my first job and that was my first experience in the outside world. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. which was really scary for me, honestly. And um I'm trying to think of like what other options I had for jobs at that time, but it was interesting because um I ended up working at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Yeah, i looked uh, like, at um, it our british listeners
2: won't necessarily know what um oh got is, you. So it's, it's like a fast food chain right yeah,
0: yeah it is a it's a fast mm-hmm. food chain in the u.s and it's known for its conservative christian roots mm. um, the founder I of see. the company yes and it's funny because there are people that get really mad that i worked at chick-fil-a and i, under- I understand why people are mad i'm like okay like and then i'm like you know what i mean i had I didn't have many other options to work mm-hmm. anywhere else. And, um, I think a lot of people, uh, especially people who are more liberal in America, try to, um, boycott Chick-fil-A because uh. they've, they've been known in the past for donating to anti LGBTQ plus organizations. And recently they said they've stopped. I don't know if that's actually true. Um, if they're still doing it secretly or not, or if they are still doing some. Um, So, I mean, I know, I mean, the, you can just, you can see the cognitive dissonance of someone gay working at Chick-fil-A. Like, but <laughs> it's just, well, I wouldn't have known that. So that's really interesting.
2: I, I wouldn't yeah. have known it. And um, what I found interesting about that was how you cite that as actually a really useful experience for you. Something mm-hmm. that really yeah. helped you. So mm-hmm. um putting aside for a moment, any, dubious um political yeah. and uh, sort of yes. religious uh, uh practices um it actually yeah. was really helpful for you because it was you were helpful suddenly able to, to, to yeah. see this world outside yes,
0: definitely and like my parents they they imagined Chick fil a as like a Christian environment where super conservative Christians would work and they would have the same exact beliefs or similar beliefs, at least as my parents. And it was interesting because it wasn't like that at all, which is really nice. (laughs) People had this idea. um, And of course there were Christians there, but a lot of them were very, very progressive, very open-minded, very loving and accepting, which is just not common in the IFB. So it was a type of Christianity that I had never really um scene i guess he would say and it was interesting because um even though like i was i was like i guess he would say i was on the fence i was still indoctrinated but still trying to leave just on the fence about things in the middle and it was interesting to see the different um way people or way different christians believed uh, which is interesting to me how people would interpret the bible differently mm. uh, certain doctrines like a, around uh, being lgbtq plus or different things and of course like we weren't really allowed to talk a- about religion on the clock which i, I like that i like that they didn't want us to do that because that would have happened it's about though. the
2: sandwiches um, andrew <laughs> never mind that religious stuff we've got to sell these uh, yes. sandwiches.
1: if you're enjoying the podcast you can support it by becoming a patron you can support the podcast for just one pound or a dollar 50 and receive a variety of patreon benefits as a thank you. Don't forget to share the podcast, follow, like, subscribe and rate the podcast on the podcast app you're using. A review is particularly helpful as it gets us recognised by new listeners. And finally, if you'd like to reach out to us and tell us about some court hacking you've been involved in, or you just want to say hi, you can do so by going to courthackers.com and using the contact form. We love hearing from
0: our court hackers.
1: Thank you for listening and now back to the podcast.
0: Yeah. yeah, but it, it was interesting to um, be around that, and I just, I felt, mm. it was the first environment, I guess, where I felt really, um, around people I, w- I felt connected to, and I felt safe with, and I could be authentic, and like, it helped me um, develop a lot of life skills that I didn't mm. really get to develop while being isolated and stuck at home, which I think was a big reason why Chick-fil-A was so good for me, um, which is developing really social skills that I needed. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was really bad. My social skills were so bad. When I started working there, it was really, really sad. And I'm like, I have to, because for me, I knew I had to develop life skills or I could never get away. Yeah. <laughs> I could never get away. Mm-hmm. So that was, for me, like, I'm the kind of person, I'm all about personal growth and going out of your comfort zone. And that was an instance of me um, pushing myself out of my comfort zone to get some independence, develop skills, meet people outside of the group and understand different perspectives and make friends. And so um, it was really it was really hard to eventually leave that because the point of getting the job for me was saving for college. And so that's kind of the next part of my journey is um, my parents, they basically put me into um, uh, a double bind. Which means, you know, you're given two choices that either one is undesirable, like no matter which one you choose. So Mm. the choices, the double bind that was put in was you can either go to a Christian college or you can stay home and work at Chick-fil-A and go to, you know, and still have to go to the IFB church and still listen and follow my parents' rules very strictly. Um, And so both of those were really undesirable um mm. and even for the list of Christian colleges, like Hiles Anderson was one of them, which is the one my parents graduated from, which is so strict. Um, Pensacola Christian College, which is another really strict fundamentalist school in America. And then another option was Bob Jones University, which is the one I eventually went with, and it was it had its foundations in fundamentalist Christianity. Um, it identified more as evangelical and just non denominational Protestant. Um at least openly now, but it's it still has very fundamentalist roots. trust me once I was there for three and a half years still very fundamentalist. Um, but for me, I had always dreamed of going to college. Um, I just was so excited I wanted I've always loved learning and I feel like college could offer um, the things that I missed out on in homeschooling and you know looking back like I wouldn't I wouldn't say I was given like the worst education. Um, because <laughs> there are some homeschoolers that I've met that their parents literally don't do school with them mm. much. And but my mom, she was very consistent and she always made sure we were very good at grammar. We will we were able to read and write. Mm. And she really tried to help us um work on our math skills. Um, so those things, um, I was thankfully equipped in. Um to do and go to at college. I think the the struggle for me personally was there were were no critical thinking skills, those that very much lacked (laughs) um, from homeschooling. So thankfully college, shockingly Christian college did help me develop those skills. It's just, you can't think critically about the religion, but everything else you can. Um, (laughs) But um, to me, I picked Bob Jones University because um, number one, it was accredited. Um, so it was, I think it was regionally accredited. And if you're not regionally accredited in the US, if you don't go to regionally accredited college, then your degree is not really worth anything. Um, if anything that's below that, at least. And so I was like, well, I'm like, I want to go to a college that's accredited so I can get a job that's worth something because a lot of a lot of ways people are stuck in these cultic environments is that they go to a crappy Christian college where the only way they're going to get hired is they're going to get hired in the same kind of community and they're going to be stuck in this community and using their talents and their times or whatever to serve them. And so I'm like, yeah. I'm not going to be stuck <laughs> in this community. That's, that's what attracted me to Bob Jones was um, it was accredited and they had so many majors and different kind of careers you could go into, you know, it was, I was really scared of going to Bob Jones because I knew how they were still very strict, um, very conservative, still had their fundamentalist roots. And so it was, gonna, I was really like going out of the IFB into another environment that's still very similar. Um, and so it was interesting to to meet different kinds of people at Bob Jones because there are some people I met there who never grew up in fundamentalism. Mm. And then they go to Bob Jones and they're like, Oh my gosh, like I didn't realize what fundamentalist Christianity was until this, this is terrible. <laughs> and I'm like, and to me, like kind of like my little flex is like, Oh my gosh, like I grew up in an environment much worse than this. Like Run. please, mm-hmm. like stop. But I, I understood if it. it was their first experience and it, I could understand why. And um, sadly, like I I did have a friend who was at Bob Jones for a couple of years and like he had to leave because um, the group's ideology just really, really caused his mental health to deteriorate and he became very um, suicidal and just live with this constant shame that was put on him. Mm-hmm. And once he told me that, I was like, I didn't say this. I kept this to myself. I was like, that's literally my whole life. Like, this is right. like, that's how right. I've always, always mm-hmm. felt. And so, you know, growing up in my teen years, like, like I said earlier, I always struggled um, with my mental health, more specifically depression. You know, mm-hmm. I've had four major depressive episodes already. Um, and really, that was just religious trauma not being processed or dealt with mm-hmm. until I finally um, in my college years, um, began to continue to question more because I think another thing for me, um, was that I was always such a people pleaser and I was always such a role follower. Um, um, my trial responses were like the fun response and the freeze Those were common for me. So like the fun is like people pleasing. You will deny all of your needs and please everyone you can to be accepted into a group. But eventually you'll be just, you'll be so drained and exhausted <laughs> from doing that, uh, from giving yourself endlessly to other people. But um, it was the first semester at Bob Jones that it was just, it was, oh my gosh, I tried to follow every single role that they had. And for example... Um, they they kept us really busy with different religious activities. So, for example, we had we had chapel four days a week, and chapel um, for Bob Jones was a short little worship service, and then we would say um, the Bob Jones Creed in unison, which was a very very cult like moment chanting. yes basically chanting chanting. yeah (laughs) and it's the creed was just the doctrines the foundational doctrines that related that everyone had to agree to to go to the school anyway so we would all it was a moment of indoctrination of Mm -hmm. just saying these doctrinal things of christianity in this modern tone voice in unison Mm -hmm. and it, it took like two minutes to say and then we would sit down and then we would have to listen to um a sermon for like probably like twenty minutes and then leave and we had that four days a week, um, and it lasted around thirty to forty minutes those times. Um, mm. So, and then another thing we had to do was we we were required to go to discipleship groups, and that was several times a week, and it was just usually it was a few dorm rooms on your floor and you had to meet at like ten thirty at night in a specific dorm room and you had a leader and. It was basically another instance of indoctrination where y'all would review what was said in chapel, basically, and talk Mm -hmm. about it and how you can apply it to your own life or Mm -hmm. how can you be a better Christian or whatever or do you need to read your Bible more? It's just making sure people are in line or not conforming, really. Mm -hmm. And another thing we were required to do was it was society. And they try to make it sound really fun, but society was basically chapel but run by students and in smaller groups. That's all that it was um yeah. it's the In same society, thing that, but
1: very different <laughs> yeah
0: i mean it was um we, we had to sing worship songs we had prayer there was a little sermon and the only thing different was mm. that there was a little game they might play for like 10 minutes you could do oh go on, and... tell us about the game <laughs> um so it was interesting um uh, there would be a person I forgot what role they would, but we would um elect some person that would just do games every week.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um so for example, um there was one game called Alligator, I think. Okay. And it was just basically like wrestling on all fours. It had to be on oh, all fours. Oh wow, I didn't wrestling. expect that. No, yeah, no. that was that was something. We just went to yeah. the pub
1: you know <laughs> just yeah drink it up yeah, yeah. Well, we're allowed as well to be fair in england at 18, yes so we all get to uni at 18 yeah so.
0: <laughs> that's funny and like some weeks of games it was like a trivia game um or, or it was interesting in america there's this popular game called ninja and mm-hmm. it's where you just get in a circle and i haven't played it in so long but basically um you're supposed to like strike someone below on their arm below the elbow and if you hit them then they're out so you try to avoid getting hit by people and you try to be Mm -hmm. the last one standing that hasn't gotten out and you know you're supposed to you're supposed to be very careful of watching people who might be trying to strike you or okay whatever it's very interesting kind of game
1: to be fair like it all sounds fun it's just when you're being dictated to all the time you're probably like oh
0: Hmm. Yeah, like, to, the, you know, fa- yeah. the the fact that, like, I w- I had to do it, or, yeah. or be in that environment, at least, that maybe mm-hmm. not, and, like, we weren't required to be involved in the games, which is great, because there were a lot of the times I didn't, because I'm like, I don't, I don't care, I don't want to get to know any of you people, like. <laughs> <laughs> this is
1: just ends to means, yeah. yeah.
0: Like, I was, you know, I was very, very standoffish <clears throat> in my Society and, like, you know, I never fit anywhere into that environment. And the relationships there were just so shallow because you never really got to know someone for who they really were. Because if you ever talked about getting to know yourself or getting to know someone else, um, it was always shame. And you would, people would say things like, oh, well, who you are is really evil and you're sinful and rotten. So you don't need to get to know <laughs> who you are. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's Ooh. a
2: deep sort of Christian philosophy, isn't it? The idea that we're all sinners. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it. I think that is one of the most damaging. Yeah. Ooh, yes. um, Christian concepts.
0: Really. Yeah. I think it's total depravity and Calvinism. That's where mm. I think they get that. Um, but it's just, so, yeah, so the relationships at Bob Jones, it was basically people pretending that they're the best Christian in the world. And you're basically reinforcing each other's beliefs and ideas and talking about your spiritual life and your relationship with Jesus or whatever, or what you think is your relationship with Jesus. It was really weird <laughs> to me.
1: So, I was going to ask the question as well did ever, in the last year of um, like college was lots of people getting engaged? Cause that's been a thing that apparently <sighs> is a thing.
0: Yeah, it yeah. is. It is. <laughs> mm, there is just, there's so much pressure. Like you are like, it is socially expected to be engaged by your senior year. Oh, really? at bob jones like
1: well, i've seen loads of like um wow. reels and tiktoks being like when you're the only one left and it's like showing all these couples getting engaged or like ha- wearing their rings and it's yeah. just like oh.
0: and you know it, it always worried me because there was there were sometimes i would see freshmen who were not even there quite a semester and they would get engaged mm. and i'm like oh my gosh you just got out of high school you're 18 years old and you literally left your like cultic church and you're and it's mm-hmm. really sad because, you know, there's a lot of obviously a lot of fallout in those marriages. Um, yeah. I've actually I've gotten involved in a deconstruction group in Greenville, South Carolina, which is where Bob Jones is located. And I've in this group with a lot of ex Bob Jones people. And they talk about the mistakes that they made in getting married way too early um, because in that environment, like you're not a, like you weren't even allowed to like hold hands or have any kind of physical contact at all period Mm -hmm. um and so and of course like you know we're all college students we all have those hormones raging we're so all like so Mm -hmm. horny and they (laughs) can't even touch each other at all (laughs) so the only way to like have sex is to get married yeah um and there was so much fear around having sex before marriage or just someone who's not you're not married to it's like when it happens it's like it's the end of the world and you can't undo it and your life will be forever shaped And changed Mm -hmm. and so people were like okay well who who's a good enough mate and (laughs) (laughs) i can just (laughs) release this and um and just even to just like have physical contact like having physical contact that is a human need um Mm -hmm. and so of course people couples will break the rules all the time um, there were people who would go behind bushes and do their own thing <laughs> at certain <laughs> times of the day, and you could definitely be walking by at night and hear things in bushes, and you're like, okay, like I'm going to keep walking. Like I, I completely <laughs> understand. Like also, I'm just going to keep walking. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: um but, but it's it was... all part of the control, isn't it? Andrew? Yes, it's, it's all, it is. It, it's mm-hmm. all Behavior. part of yeah. Mm-hmm. You know,
2: if you can control the most fundamental parts of people that of the you've got mm-hmm. them, haven't you? you You, know, you, yeah. you're able to, to, to do with them what you will. Mm. Yes,
0: most definitely. And so um, it wasn't until like my second semester freshman year that um, I really began to break the rules at Bob Jones. Like I, we were also required to go to church twice a week or two services a week, which, I finally just stopped doing because they had an honor system of how they kept up with that. You would just fill out a form to say you went to a church at this Mm -hmm. time in this place. And so I just eventually, and it was hard for me to break the rules and to lie because when you do that, like God's gonna punish you or you're, you know, once you, in in air quotes, sin, your relationship is broken with God and you have to confess to repair that. And so I was just so miserable. And um, I kind of took a break from church and because like I gen- I actually just needed to rest, and church was not rest at all for me. And yeah. so, just skipping church and going to a park for the day, and not having um, people screaming and yelling at you, telling you you're an awful wicked sinner, you're deserving. Of- it's just nice. It's nice to not be emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually abused. It's nice to have a break. <laughs>
2: yeah, from I, that. I can I can understand that. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> I mean, we laugh, don't we? Because it's part of the defense mechanism i think yes, but you know, I know. when you, I when you really like you. <laughs> when you think about it
0: it's it's horrific really well, it, it is it? Not exactly it's self-care is it <laughs> no <laughs> no church is not self-care no not no. that kind at least and so <laughs> no. um for me though i was still struggling so much with my mental health and kind of going back just for a little bit in a second like in my 10 years you know i i never received any kind of help um from my parents when I had those issues it was just read your Bible and pray and they didn't know how to navigate or deal with it. And you know, it got really bad in my teen years where I was basically like bedridden. I couldn't really eat. Like my body was aching. It was just really, really bad major um, depression. And my parents actually, I mean, and I thought it too, I actually thought that I was really dying because I just, I lost 20 pounds in like two weeks Mm -hmm. um, because I couldn't eat. And I was just really helpless in that moment. And it caused me to really not trust my parents anymore because they did not help me mm-hmm. in a time when I needed them the most. And my dad just, he was, did not handle it well at all. Mm. And he was just very, he was very angry at me. He just didn't understand, he just was just not how I, you respond to someone with mental health, probably no, getting angry just, at them and telling them to get yeah. over it is not. <laughs> it's
1: not no i think it's difficult with the parental situation like Mm. people i know it's like yeah especially in these situations with the religious element is it feels like you not being okay is questioning them how they raised you what they believe like you have to be okay because then that means we did a good job Mm. so you can't not be okay (laughs) Um, because it questions yeah it bring you know people religious or not I suppose you know other people that um you know I know I've gone through similar things have said like their parent gets angry with them when they're not okay and it's because they feel like it's pointing at them so I guess add on a layer of belief Mm -hmm. system and it's like well we know the Perfect way of doing this, so you can't not be okay. You know, we've yeah. got God, so you should be. Fine. Yeah, <laughs> <It's laughs> yeah. <like>, oh, <laughs> uh,
0: cool. I'm th- fine this... now. It's done. <laughs> Lovely, brilliant. <laughs> that Fantastic. that helped. That healed it. Thanks. Yeah, like, yeah. so yeah. great. Uh, but after that, um, I basically try to hide a lot of mental health issues uh, to not cause that tension or that conflict. And it, it did get really bad at college my freshman year, and um, it really brought me um, to the point of becoming very um, suicidal. And, you know, and to me, I think that was when I finally, I guess you would say, jumped off the fence <laughs> to the other side. That was the moment, because in that moment, I was at, you know, there was nothing left Um in me as a person, I guess like to really nothing that really mattered. I was in such a dark place, the bottom of the barrel, I guess you would say. Um, and so I'm like, you know, I did everything they've told me and I've it again, and again, and it's made my life so miserable and it's made me so unhappy. I have all these mental health issues and this system is a part of it. I don't know all the complexities of it or why yet, but this is not healthy for me. And like, it's time to start exploring outside of this. So, um, you know, once I actually made that choice, I guess, of autonomy, really, of to make my own decisions and to do what was best for me, instead of just denying my needs, denying my thoughts, emotions, my intuitions, because I was taught not to trust myself. Um, I, you know, once I started to claim autonomy and really start to take care of myself, I, mean, it, it took time for the mental health to get better. Still, a couple of years after that. <laughs> Um, and, you know, I think, you know, I'm still in therapy and I think it will take a long time uh, to deal with those, a lot of those things. But I think um, think the last, the last two years have been me diving in the deep end of like really trying to deal with that. And so mm. I started going to an affirming church because I knew community is what I needed. I needed a connection. And that is something that I completely lacked growing up and which mm. is a fundamental human need. Um, and it was interesting because as I talked with my therapist and we talked about community and connection, he's like, um, connection is when we belong somewhere where we feel seen, heard, and we feel understood and we're accepted for who we are. He's like, Andrew, your whole life, you just fit in, you conform to a role to be accepted. You weren't accepted for who you were Mm -hmm. or anything like that. You had to be somebody else. And so that was just to have that process and really set out loud. Um, was quite a lot. And it was true. And I was like, oh, wow, like shit. Like, <laughs> no, like these mm. these different realizations um, in therapy. And um, thankfully, once I went to a new church, I was able to meet a wonderful family who, you know, I told them about my situation of going to Bob Jones, of how I was really unhappy and in the closet and was experiencing a lot of mental health issues um, because of that environment. Um, they were able, they were kind enough to really really take me to their own home and they lived right by Bob Jones. I was able to escape and go to their house when I could. And nice. that was another thing, I guess that caused so much cognitive dissonance was I was always taught that people outside of our faith were evil and mm-hmm. would not be loving or kind. And so to experience people who did not conform to the belief system that I grew up in, and they were the nicest people and kindest I'd ever met and they didn't believe anything that the group believed i mm-hmm. think that's when um i realized that it wasn't true how they demonized people outside the group and that um there was loving people there, there was a better place healthier place outside of that group and you know and it, it was it was still tough because i was at bob jones from 2018 till um the winter of 2021 so i was there for like three and a half years and mm-hmm. um i was expelled um my scene my last semester of my senior year i was expelled um from bob jones oh. yeah yeah so i know i was yeah. so, so close do, do you see yeah, that happened. as a as a sad thing or or were you relieved i mean honestly in that moment i was really really happy about it there were obviously some mixed feelings involved around sure. that and yeah. the complexities of it but it, the majority was like relief um yeah. because i think Th- those three and a half years I was at Bob Jones, you know I was a, a visual arts major with a concentration in photography and I used photography to an art to really dig into um, my past experiences and really work through trauma. I didn't realize what I was doing when I started it, but that was really what I was doing mm. and to, that was a way for me to process and externalize those emotions and experiences. And so by the time I got around to my senior year, I decided, I think by the time it was my senior year, I mean there were there were several things that went on that led me to that point, um, which I'll quickly just go through because I know we're running out of time. But um, I was discipled. I decided to be discipled for um, several months um, just to kind of, to me, it was about deciding whether or not I wanted to stay or leave Christianity to me because uh, I wanted to know everything I could before I took the steps to truly finally deconvert and At that time before deconversion, that's when I really, I think it was really when I was 20, when I started to, when I found out about religious trauma. And that's when I finally realized what was going on inside my psyche and in my mind. It was religious trauma because of all of these, like, experiences one on top of another in the church. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, for people listening, like, you know, religious trauma... Um, a very simple definition, I guess, to be like, it is a psychological, emotional, or physical response to events that are so overwhelming in these religious environments that we cannot return to a sense of safety, and we're stuck in these um, high alert states. And um, that definition um, is one that I recently heard by Dr. Laura Anderson, and she's uh, head of the Religious Trauma Institute. Um And so it's a very, that definition is the most simplest one I've heard. And it just, it completely explains it so well. So, and it's religious trauma is comparable to complex PTSD. Um, And for people who who aren't aware, like PTSD is when you have um, a lot of trauma from one big traumatic event, but complex PTSD is so many traumatic events one on top of the other. And um, it's just it's i guess he would say yeah it's just so many that builds into this big thing and that's, i compare it yeah i compare it to like a snowball rolling down a hill <laughs> it starts very small and then <laughs> it gets really big and starts an avalanche and <laughs> all these things yeah and...
2: i won't read them all but um you've got a really interesting page on your website mm-hmm. again we'll we'll post a, a link to this yeah. but you you talk about the um symptoms of yes. religious trauma mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think if anybody reading these, uh, negative beliefs about others, low self-esteem, mm. struggle with emotional regulation, depression, anxiety, grief, anger, mm. nightmares, and so on. You know, I think, um, yeah, I certainly recognize that a lot of those, if not yes. all of them, to be Ooh. honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's it's something mm-hmm. that uh, a lot of us can identify with.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah, most definitely. And yeah. It wasn't until my senior, or yeah, I guess my the summer before my senior year was when I spent that summer really um, deconverting by tearing apart the core doctrines and core things I was told, like inerrancy, for example, which is really easy to tear apart, which I was really surprised by that. Inerrancy, um, just... Um, oh, just got you. That yeah. So growing up in fundamentalism, they really, really pushed that the Bible is perfect and inerrant, which means it has no errors. And so me, I, you know, when I deconverted, I'm like, okay, religion makes a lot of claims about things we can't really prove or disprove. So, but what things can I prove or disprove? So inerrancy, I'm like, we have the physical book here. Why are we claiming it's perfect if we've never actually tried to dig into it? Mm -hmm. And so once I finally ordered different books on like uh, mistakes in the Bible or contradictions in the Bible, and I read them myself, um, that's when it started to finally um really crack and i was able to do that because i had already claimed my autonomy at that point i I wasn't so there were still parts to be dependent but i wasn't my whole life wasn't on that dependent on that anymore so that's why i was able to get to that point to deconvert um and then once i learned about mythology and how stories have been retold (laughs) so many times (laughs) throughout so many different mythologies and religions and rehashed and kind of remade i'm like okay like it, it made me see it in a different light and still appreciate it but i didn't mm. see it in the same aspect as oh this is the only way or oh this is a really cool rehash of these these really cool mythologies and these have mm. deeper meanings and lessons to them um yeah. and you know after just many months of just constantly working on just really deconverting it was really really difficult to do <laughs> Um, I really, really jumped into the deep end, which I don't recommend for most people to do. Um, (laughs) um, But I risked at that point, once I knew it was religious trauma, I'm like, I have to like detach this belief system as much as I can to live a better life. And so it was my senior year, I decided to create a, a fine art photo series on religious trauma and to explore the different states that I lived through throughout my life, the emotional states and how I got to the place of leaving and to emotionally and visually express that. And so um, that was a big part of me finally, like starting to dig into healing that religious trauma. And like, there were moments where it was really emotionally overwhelming and a lot to process. And there were times I had to take breaks and like journal and just to deal with things um, that would come up. But Um, it was a project I really kept private at Bob Jones because I knew they wouldn't approve of it. Um, And so, but it was so, it was such a personal thing to me that I finally decided um, in January of 2022, I put it on the internet (laughs) um, for anyone and everyone to see and, really what got me kicked out of Bob Jones was that I decided to publicly share my story of religious trauma and growing up in the IFB cults, because that making that series made me really face my past, really like chronologically put my story together and understand how all these things affected me. And Mm. when, when you have those realizations, like you, you have this moment or period where you grieve, you grieve the childhood that you lost, you grieve, Mm. Um, the all the heartache and all the pain that was so unnecessary that you went through, of how your innocence was taken away um at such a young age. There's a period where, you know, you were grieving that lost person. And for me, making that series yeah. was part of that, grieving it. And so, um, I think to removing a lot of the shame that I felt that was put on me in a group, publicly telling my story um was really vital to removing a lot of that shame. And how I decided to, I, you know, I shared my story through my art series and I wanted to promote it to people who would really relate to it. So I reached out, um, to the author, um, Joshua Harris and in America, he's really well known for his book. (laughs) I kiss dating goodbye. Um, that book greatly shaped purity culture and it has caused a lot of harm (laughs) in -hmm. people's lives and relationships. And, um, but it was interesting because he in 2018 or 2019 he like basically disowned his book apologized for it is like this has caused so much and like he wrote this book when he was 21 talking about love and relationships at 21 years old i just that's all you need to know there Uh um (laughs) and he's like i'm so sorry like i've gotten so much feedback for how much Harm it's caused people, and what? he announced that he deconverted from Christianity and that he left, and that just totally shook the evangelical and fundamentalist community because sure. they greatly looked up to him. They totally like bought onto his purity culture, and they, it totally like encompassed like a lot of that in those spaces. Um, his ideas of purity culture, and so to have him publicly denounce the religion and leave, um, people were angry, and. He apologized for a lot of the harm that he caused, but to me, when that happened, I looked up to that so much. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this guy was willing to admit that he was wrong. He was willing to like hold himself accountable. Like that is something I had never seen growing up. I never seen anyone admit that. Oh, I'm so sorry, I did this. I really harmed. These actions uh, were not okay. So to see someone do that, it's just to me, I just it was it took a lot of character, I think, to do that. And so. Eventually, he went online and began to kind of get into the deconstruction space, and he started um, an IGTV show or live show where he interviewed different people from ex-evangelical or evangelical or fundamentalist or religious spaces and to hear their stories. And so I reached out to him, and I was like, hey, like, I'm about to release a photo series on religious trauma. I'm a photographer who Mm -hmm. is trying to work through religious trauma. I would love to come on your show and talk about it. And like that was, that was greatly, greatly out of my comfort zone, um, to come out so publicly, um, like it, but, um, you know, if I had to do it over again, I still would. And it was, um, a great moment of growth for me because it it forced me to be excommunicated, (laughs) um, from the groove. (laughs) I mean,
2: first of all, Andrew, I just want to say what a brave thing to do. What a fantastic thing to do. Thank you. Um, that, that's Amazing. And the other part of me, you know, how how can an institution of learning then expel you on the basis of you just saying how you feel?
0: Mm. Yeah, it was interesting because I was expelled two weeks after that interview was released. And I was just suddenly brought into like my dorm supervisor, just randomly came to my room and told me I had to meet him in his office. Like there was no warning, no email or anything. Mm. I was like, Oh, wow. Okay. So once I met with some staff from Bob Jones, they said, because I didn't claim to be a Christian anymore. I couldn't be at their university. It's <laughs> <And> outrageous. That- <laughs> it was quite, quite a ridiculous reason. Um, and I was, I was surprised that they didn't kick me out because of my sexuality, because in that video, um, that was my first time to officially come out and say, Hey, like, you know, I'm queer. I experienced so much religious trauma because of these toxic teachings and how it Mm -hmm. affected um, the view of myself and my connection with my sexuality. And it's caused so much trauma. Um, And I was, I was surprised they didn't say they didn't keep me out for that reason, Mm -hmm. but they've, they're technically, there are Christian schools in America. They're allowed to discriminate based on sexual orientation and gender. Um, because they have a Title IX exemption, which in the US, a Title IX protects um, discrimination based on your gender and sexual orientation. But religious schools get an exemption from that, which means it, does, it doesn't apply to them if they don't want it to. And they can still get federal funding. And mm-hmm. Right now, a lot of activists are trying to stop that. Of how, you know, mm. if you're going to discriminate, do it with your own money, but you cannot do that <laughs> with the government's money. But so.
2: That sounds completely <laughs> fair, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's, um... <laughs> so at this point, it became obvious to us all that we still had loads to talk to Andrew about. So Andrew very kindly agreed to come back and do part two. And you can hear part two. It's being released on the 20th of November, so as of listening to this, if you're listening on the day of release, it's tomorrow. You can listen to part two, so check that out, part two of Andrew Pledger's interview. Cult Hackers is an Evil Sheep production.